Season two, episode 13 of Stats That Matter. The one where we're a year old. Yes, Tim. Two guys talking about sports in beer. We made it. One whole year, over mm. 6,400 downloads. Shout out to all the supporters of the Stats That Matter podcast. But man, this is crazy. And if you were if you were those people who are like, you know, did you really think you're going to make it to a year? The answer is yes. Of course I did. Of course I thought we were making it to a year. <laughs> <laughs> Did I think anyone would be listening to us? That I didn't know, but I knew we would uh, be doing to, it anyway. Shout out to India, the other. who apparently doesn't know the difference between Sam Smith, the Grammy artist, and Sam Smith, the waxing poetic podcast artist to be up and coming. Or maybe maybe they do like me. I don't know. But either one of those things are kind of scary right now that I think about <laughs> it. But <laughs> Yeah, we are in uh, uh, a, a much broader audience than uh, I ever expected, so... I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see, you know, how this continues yes, to grow. As am I. This week, we're going to talk a little Bruins, a little blurb about the importance of mental health. We're going to recap some of our favorite moments from the last year. And Tim, I feel like we have to put a PSA about the fans. So we're, we're going to get to it. We're going to be those guys. Uh, in our cups this week, because I got owned on Twitter, um, I guess every, every day is stout day and all weather is stout weather. So I will be drinking an Imperial Stout this week from St. Louis, Missouri. And Tim, you have a triple IPA from Garnerville, New York. Never heard of that city, but I'm guessing it's pretty good. Yeah, you. Uh, I told you last podcast you were wrong, so you should have uh, known. Yeah, should have. Yep. But sometimes you have to take an L on the World Wide Web. And, every, and literally every time I have yeah. a stout, uh, we have yep, the same yep, conversation. Yep. And, so You know, I'm stubborn, but eventually, you know, I get with the, with the picture. So, look, Tim, there are three things that are constant. Death, taxes, and me telling you you can find Stats No Matter wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Stats, at Stats Podcast. And make sure you do the same thing for our Instagram at Stats Don't Matter. Now, Tim, let's kick off this show. So as I alluded to, I, I, took, a, I took an L on the Twitter sphere the other day, right? There, there was someone who posted hmm. something. Uh, it, it was someone's birthday. Uh, shout out to... John, uh, New Jersey craft beer. And someone was like, Hey, it's actually going to be stout weather. And someone's like, yes, this is good. And I replied, no, this is wrong. This is not stout weather. Uh, and I was under the stats, uh, the stats no matter Twitter, or I like to refer to it, my burner account <laughs> because, <laughs> because I can definitely like and reply things. I might not feel comfortable on my, on my personal Twitter account. And I was like, no, this opinion is wrong. And that guy replied to me. And he took a screenshot of the our, um, the top part of our Twitter profile where it said it said the name and it said stats don't matter podcast and he he said your opinion and he just he like clipped the sports <laughs> he said your opinion don't matter <laughs> and I was like oh nice. man what an own so uh, in light of that for John and and for Dan uh, Daniel Giroux I'm gonna go ahead and get into an imperial stat I got a couple in the fridge um, now I'm sure you've heard about this before. This is Sump by Perennial Ales. It's a coffee stout. Um, so it's a pure style of coffee. It's made with coffee from Osaka, Mexico. Um, there's a lot of beers that are like this, but Sump is one of those beers that when it comes out, kind of has the hype behind it. Much like uh, Perennial's Abraxas, if you've ever had that. Um, so I've had that. Had never had Sump, though. 11.5%. And I like that the, uh, the, the can art's pretty cool. You got this, I don't know if you want to call him like a Jesus-looking dude, but he's definitely some sort of monk. He's got the, got the coffee beer right there. He looks like a bearded hipster. So 
you know, it's it's fitting. I, I think stout weather. Ugh. I, I, I've never, I've never had the uh, heart to tell Sam, but because he's in the in the process of taking out Sam, when you hold it up, you always hold it up off camera, so I never actually see the can you're showing me. I've never in the history of our podcast seen the can. Okay, here we go. <laughs> no microphone. Hold it right next to the microphone. Like ah, no, uh, higher. Do you not see the same oh, thing? No, I see? no, I've minimized I'm the screen because I have the notes up. I don't have six screens like you do. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see basically from collarbone to collarbone, and that's it. Well, I don't even see the edge of your I, elbows. So anytime I've been working on my collarbones, what can I say? You know? Yeah, no, just just get, get about it. All right, here. Well, can you see this, Mr. Timothy? As you can see, it's got a nice... I, I, it's I got an SRM, that, yes. but what would you say? Uh, it's higher yeah, for yeah. darker, right? Yeah, I'll say like an 85. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think the scale goes beyond that's 50, just, but just yeah, it, it's up there. You, you, really, oh, okay. you really can't Fair see enough. it. It's got really good head retention <laughs> at the top there. I smell a ton of coffee. Um, one, one, of us paid for, uh, one of us paid for a beer yes. class, and the other one did not. I'll let you yeah. guess who was who. Uh, all right. Stouts matter, I guess. God damn it. Stouts, stouts matter, and... It's always stout season. Mm. Always stout season, man. You have a coffee every day, so what's the difference? Okay. One thing off the top. 11.5%. I, I very, very faintly taste any booze whatsoever in this beer. That's amazing. I love that. I think something that scares a lot of people away from imperial stouts, especially with adjuncts, is that there's so much sugar, like we were talking about last week, right? So you, you, you get too much. Yep. Um, I've only had one sip. It uh, is very sticky on the back end, but for an Imperial Stout, it's not as thick as I expected it to be, uh, which is good because sometimes the coffee stouts, like they just really runneth over. Um, it pours really thick. Mm-hmm. I like that. I I got to say, I think the hype behind this is is well-deserved. I, I do believe it is a good coffee stout. Um, I don't get like the grainy texture from like the coffee grounds uh, on the back end. Um, yep. I mean, it, it is a little syrupy, right? But it's not as syrupy as I as as, a, as I think I was expecting. So, I'm gonna go ahead and give this. Uh, I'm gonna give this a four two. This is this is really good, um, considering it is 80 degrees outside. You know, this is not something I would probably want to have on the deck because unless I have one of those citronella candles, I'm gonna get murdered by a whole bunch of cicadas and uh, and mosquitoes. I'm I'm confused. Do you not drink coffee Mm-mm. during the summer? Get out of town. Nope, I'm actually a tea guy. I, right, I had coffee to, this weekend. Uh, actually, just... I had cafe au lait for the first time. What about what about? Oh, you like, no. you don't have coffee at all. All right, so much. I, I'm starting to agree with the guy on Twitter. All right. Um, so I I have one that you know here in Connecticut, industrial arts is a pretty big uh, sort of. It's semi-local. It's a state over, but it is one that gets some pretty wide distro, and people tend to, you know, really like their beers. Uh, I've had a couple of them before, but this is the first time I've ever seen this particular one. It's called Impact Wrench. It's their triple IPA. Um, it's described as dank and dense jungle, uh, but it's ten percent. They're 
all of their beers tend to have some sort of play on uh, like a wrench theme. And funny enough, uh, Sam and I usually have a sidecar or like a separate beer or like sometimes I'll have like a glass of whiskey set off to the side that I'll either sip on throughout the show when I'm done with my beer or, you know, before we open our beer just to kind of, you know, I call it I call it some social lubricant so that we can get the get the creative juices flowing or whatnot. And uh, when I told Sam what my beer was, because we never talk about them before the podcast, it just uh, never comes up. Uh, and when I told him what I had, he held up uh, a can that he has on his desk as his own sidecar. And he's drinking uh, one from Industrial Arch as well. And his is yep. pork well, ranch. Hold on, let me make sure I put it in the right place so you can see it, Tim. Oh my goodness. Oh jeez. <laughs> well, I ever did. Anyway. Yeah. Uh anyway, it's I, I I've had a lot of the other ones. I've actually had Torque Wrench. Um they are I would say a very decent brewery given, you know, their size and their and their their distro. So I'm I'm pretty curious about this one. You've been like on the on the triple right. IPA chain a lot. It's like if I don't think that there's like there's certain seasons for stout weather, I definitely think that there is. Like I think that Imperial Stout season, Stout season, and Triple IPA season are all the same season, and it's winter. Yeah, <laughs> I can't have a Triple IPA <laughs> in the summertime, man. Just... I, I mean, I, I I've said it a couple times previously, but I, my beer consumption has not gone down quite a bit. So now, generally, when I'm out buying craft beer, it's usually a treat. Uh, a little bit of a a, a spoiler. Um, most of what I'm enjoying now tends to be like lagers and pilsners and things like that, which I am. Uh, I think I'm going to start finding some of those to do some reviews on, just because I like a a lighter beer now. I mean, I've been chasing IPAs for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> you know, what you so, sound like right now. Well, I still. You sound like Noah who? from the Notebook. I've been chasing you for all these years. I wrote you one letter every single day. I've been looking for loggers. <laughs> Get out of here, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. I have probably had enough different IPAs. So if you look at me, if you follow me on Untapped, you'll you'll think I'm a liar. But I am terrible at checking mm-hmm. in on that app. But I've probably had enough variety of IPA alone to have one for every day of an entire year. For a couple years. So at this point, I'm almost, I won't say I'm IPA'd out, but I'm getting there because they're all starting to taste the same now. They're all kind of blending together a little bit. But anyway, let's get back to this one as I drink it out of my uh, trillion brewing glass. (laughs) Speaking of IPA factories. All right. All right. That one is, um, that one's good, actually. That that that's very. I say actually, like I'm I'm surprised, but that one is good. Uh, it doesn't really give us a description as to what it's using in there for for hops. So it's hard to it's hard to put my finger on. It. There's a lot of citrus in there, but it has that West Coast style like hmm. bitter to it, which oh, I really so like. So there's no like so, you know comic book tie-in. There's no five paragraph essay on the label like ah, how, no. this should be one of the quickest segments of you know what's in my cup because you want to have anything to tie it to it's, it's it i know it's literally like a uh oh i see why they they want to drive you to their website it says for more information go to smart though 
industrial arts.com. Uh, it's very much a blue, like they're, they're going very blue collar. Like all we're going to do is give you the percentage that's in there, a quick tagline, and then a, a cane label full of art that's based around machinery. So um, anyway, for as far as triple IPAs go, outside of like the big heavy hitters, Trillium Treehouse, all of those, this one's this one's solid. I had an, I had one from Armada not that long ago that was uh not the best triple I'd ever had. Um I would say this is probably a little bit better than an, that Armada, probably in, in the similar class as far as breweries go. Maybe even unfortunately I probably give industrial arts maybe slight edge a little bit. Um but for this one it's got a lot of that, like piney resin to it. Um Feels like a little slick too when you drink it, which is a turnoff for some people. But I actually don't. I don't. I don't mind it. But th it follows with this like citrus burst, like going into the end of it. So I'm actually gonna give this one a three nine. A three nine. Very nice. Um, it's it's difficult. Too. Yeah, I, Trillium still triple makes triple IPAs that have a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say Trillium still makes. Yeah, Trillium still makes the the best triple I've ever had. Um, there was a triple collab with them and other half that was phenomenal. Not the one that had, uh, it was like peach or apricot in it. The one that didn't ferment properly and it literally burned the shit out of everyone's mm. throats. Not that guy. It was like mango or whatever. I can't even remember what fruit it was. It was a couple of years ago. Um, no, this one's good. I'll give it a three. Very nine. nice. Very nice. Find these beers. I think sump comes out, you know, mostly on an annual basis anyways. And I've been seeing a lot of industrial arts. So if I see it down here in Virginia, chances are you're seeing it where you are as well. So check out their website. Um, for those mechanically inclined, I'm sure there's some jokes on the, uh, on the label art in anyways, it, it, <laughs> that's just where we are today as a society. I'm drinking stouts in June and here you are handed your boy fresh L's. <clears throat> well, I mean, it was, it was 45 degrees zero over the weekend. So you'd fit yeah, right it, in it up went, this way. It went to 60. And it was back, uh, yeah, almost it went to 80 60. today. That's yeah. cold enough for me. <clears throat> well, Tim, we're a year old. <laughs> So we don't need to wax poetic about all mm. the things that we've done in season one of Stats of Matter, one for the ages, one that uh, 15 years from now, there'll be a 10-part series about, you know, the last dance style behind the music expose about how Tim and I, you know, came up from our basement <laughs> and recording in the closet. <laughs> there'll be all kinds of great war stories, but I think it's, it's fantastic for us to take a look and, and just reflect for a moment. We made it a whole damn year, man. That is crazy. That is so good. Hmm. Uh, we've had a lot of fun moments. We've, we've had some guests on. Um, again, like as I said last episode, we got we got political. We didn't. We got political. We didn't. We got political. We're back off the political train. Uh, it's been so much fun to go through this uh, with you. So tell me, you, you've got to have a favorite moment of where we are to this point in the last year. Hmm. Um, man, it has been quite a ride. Uh, I know we've been inconsistent. We've, we've tried the, the Thursday every day, then we try two a week. And now, you know, with, with life happening, it's a little more difficult to kind of stay on a, a, a regular routine just cause you know, we're doing this, we're doing these things by ourselves. So we appreciate everybody coming along for the ride. Um, you know, the the program we use to do all of our hosting gives us some pretty cool insight into who's listening and where they're listening and the fact that we've had 
6,500 people, which doesn't sound like a lot to some folks out there, but to us, I mean, yeah. that's amazing. Uh, we're in 67 different countries who've downloaded us. Several of them have downloaded us several hundred times, if not several thousand times, which is uh, pretty cool. And for me, I think early on, one of my, I mean, I, I, I got to say our, our favorite moment of sort of like clarity and sort of a realization as to, you know, what the potential is could be. I don't know if we fully realized our potential yet. There were some, some, some hurdles that we're working through right now uh, as far as some of the things we want to do. Um, but really early on, we had some cool guests. When Adam Schefter asked, asked to come on the podcast, um, I thought that was one of the coolest things. I tried to put it off uh, to a later episode until we can kind of iron things out. But as awkward as that interview may have been and as unpolished as it may have been, I still think for me that was one of those moments where I could kind of see what it could become. We had, I know we had Chris Cody on. We had uh, Tim Kirchin. We actually have a long list of people who do want to come on this podcast, but there's some, uh, some things we got to work around in order to make that happen. So having those guys on to me and having somebody who could kind of validate what we were doing that that to me i think has been one of my favorites the other is just you know i love when we get into these long nonsensical conversations about who's right and who's wrong it seems to be more common now because we're kind of hitting our stride and getting a little bit more yeah. comfortable with things but uh i'll i'll say bar none so far i think was the uh the Schefter episode just because it was it was our first time uh we got tied to somebody bigger and and cooler than we are um hopefully we get to do a little yeah, bit of it, that so. i gotta i gotta admit it there was it was pretty crazy i think like yeah i mean you you said awkward i don't know if i call it awkward i think like we probably had this idea we're like oh yeah it's gonna be great and then like we get there and we're like so adam like how are you doing I'm like oh adam like this is your story <laughs> i think i think in our head we the thought fact, it was gonna go so much forgot better about it <laughs> you know what i mean and then like the fact that wow i guess yeah. it's not as easy the fact that he forgot about it someone yeah. questions yeah the fact that he forgot about it and when we called him he had to come in from the pool with oh, his yeah. family to and he still yeah, took the was, time to great. do it i think that kind of I, I that was that was a funny that, that, was, that was fantastic and and i do you know i i go back and I listen to the old episodes you know so i'm just like i, I, I kind of cringy hearing myself talking being like hey what's up sam i like sports like wow i sound like such a d-bag but uh my favorite moment <laughs> of the last year was getting called a clown by Tim Kirchin. Just, I just crazy. Just, and it was so much fun. Like people knew who Adam Schefter was. Like, yeah. oh, you had Adam Schefter in the pod. Like, oh, I might, I might give it a listen. But there are there are friends of mine who are uh, big baseball fans, and I, I was like, hey, like we're gonna yeah. have Kirchin. Like, do you have baseball questions? And they're like, you're you're gonna have Kirchin. I'm like, yeah. And then like a, a friend of mine recently came up to me and he was like, I can't believe that you had Tim Kirchin on your podcast. It's like so cool. And I was like, I didn't know you were such a huge baseball fan. It's like. We got to like talk about that. He's like, how was it? I was like, oh man, it was crazy. And he goes, dude, when he clowned you and said like, and that includes you two yeah. clowns. I was like, oh, I died. I died. Like it was the only time I've ever like, <laughs> I've ever said, no, you know what? You know what, Tim? I could have hit that fastball. No, I couldn't have. I absolutely couldn't have. But I looked him no. square in the face. And Zero I said, chance. No, I could have done that. And, and I would have said, Tim says you shouldn't do that. And I was like, after that episode, I was like, who did I, who the fuck did I think I was? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, I love, I love Tim Kirchin. Uh, we still chat every now and again. 
uh, like the start of the season. Um, there's always a, a brief moment. I check in with him, just see how things are going. He reaches out, see how the family's yeah. doing. So love that guy. That one is uh, that one is also one of my favorites. Even if we did, even if I did look like uh, a douche saying I could hit that. Hunt. No, that's I, but for the record. I wasn't <laughs> saying I could actually hit it, but. Also, for the record, I could probably make contact yeah, out of a hundred times. God, I would hope so, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I, I would say, I would say it only because he would yeah. get tired because uh, his pitch count these days are like yeah. seventy. So on that like ninety eighth pitch, he's gonna leave one, uh, you know, eighty nine in in middle. That's the yeah. one I'm fouling. We off. also have to give uh, a shout out to the sponsor. Vacation Land Distributors. That was insane. Yes. Just even having one month of episodes that was sponsored uh, by a Maine-based beverage distributing company. That was just incredible. Many, we could have done many, many yep. weeks of What's in My Cup. But unfortunately, when great beer comes in a box, you've just got to drink it. So I have one that's yeah. left. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I, I mean, it's it's a, it's a wheat wine, and I'm, I'm terrified of those things. So I, it might sit there a little bit longer, but... Definitely shout out to this to Vacation Land. That that's just insane. Yeah, I have a feeling they intended us to kind of enjoy those over a few episodes, and I'm a weak <laughs> man, and the temptation was too strong. Uh, that's really all it is. So, shout out to those guys. We really appreciate you guys. Um, I, I hope everyone's doing well up that way. Um, I, I mean, I still talk to those guys, you know, a fair amount, but that and one was definitely, you know, we would definitely uh, welcome, um, you know, once a season sponsorship. I'm not, I'm not, we, we, we weren't turning it down. We, we rationed the beers this time. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I do know the state, uh, the, uh, the, the state puff uh, event just rolled around. So we no, that, that was, nod. that was pretty crazy. <laughs> seeing all those variants, but all right. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're talking about being weak and not being able to stand up against things, there's a lot of fans in sports recently, Tim. I'm sure you've seen this that are doing the same thing. Listen, <sighs> we just talked yeah. two episodes ago. Fans are coming back to the stands. Everyone should be happy. We haven't seen live sports in 15, 18 months. Tim, I went to a baseball game the other day. Cincinnati Reds, Washington Nationals. It was a doubleheader. I went to it after work. Had some beers at Salt Line with some friends. We went over to Nat Stadium. We watched a game in $25 seats, and it was like in the 400 section off the of third base, but I didn't really care yeah, because I got to watch a baseball game. And you know what didn't happen? No one rushed the field. No one was like, oh, I could have hit that, but I was kind of hoping they would. Yeah. But it's like everywhere you turn now, someone's throwing a bottle. Someone's spitting at a player. Someone's throwing popcorn at a player. Someone's trying to run onto the court. Someone's bum-rushing yeah. the, the mound like – Fans, quick little PSA. Don't ruin this for the rest of us, okay? <laughs> like, we just yeah. got sports back. Yeah. Please don't put us in timeout again because you can't handle yourselves. Like, there are two airlines now that won't even sell alcohol on flights anymore because of the douchiness of the passengers. American Airlines and Southwest. So, yeah. do I think we're going to get there at sporting events? Hell no. But I don't even want to come close. We don't want to flirt with that. If you're a fan... Go to the game. Just be happy and just appreciate the fact that for a year yep. you haven't done this. Don't go crazy. Uh, yeah, man. It's like people were pent up and just forgot how to behave. You know what I mean? And, well, 
you know, I, I, I kind of hate to go down that path, but there's a whole segment of this country that had a whole lot of uh, negativity bottled up for a long period of time and now have a need to kind of release it all. But whatever that reason may be, social reasons, racial reasons, douchebaggy reasons, it doesn't matter. There's There's a million different reasons for these. And you're starting to see it. And unfortunately, a lot of the way that it's come out has been in mm. the NBA. And unfortunately, a lot of the players it's leaning towards happen to be black, brown NBA players. So I got to say, it's not a great look, especially with the racial tension that's in, because you start looking at a lot of these people who are committing these just sort of heinous behaviors at these events. And a lot of them are not black. So did you see what happened uh, in the garden the other night, right? Apparently Kyrie stepped on the the lucky logo at half court. Then there was a guy who threw a water bottle at him. Of course, because there's cameras, they were able to find him pretty quickly. He was still in his seat. Um, Mm -hmm. 21 years old. Yeah. Been charged with a felony and has been banned from the garden for life. So this is what I'm saying. Don't do it if you're 25. Don't do it if you're 55. Just don't fucking do it. Like, that's such a bad idea. You can heckle players on the court if you want. You could say, oh, that sucks. Or, you know, you suck. Or I could have made that shot. You're like a, like a, a total jackass, a douche. But when you physically throw something at someone, whether or not you pay yeah. attention to the, the the terms and conditions of the back of your ticket, you are playing with fire. Um, if you wouldn't dump popcorn on Russell Westbrook out in public, you shouldn't do it on a basketball court. If you don't think you can throw hands yeah. with Kyrie, you should not throw things at Kyrie, no matter if you perceive him to be disrespectful or doing whatever. Like it's or, yeah. or worse. Spitting. Spitting on that, that is assault. That is that is characterized by assault. You will go to court and you will lose that case every single time. It's totally not worth it. It's just not yeah. worth it. We finally have sports back. Just go back to Twitter. Just, you know. Yeah. I I mean, I've never I'm I'm not one who likes to just go get drunk and yell at games. I actually get uncomfortable by that when I'm sitting near it because it's I mean, the way I look at it, it's like, at the end of the day, what's the benefit? Like, first of all, can they hear you? Yeah, maybe. But you're a voice in a mm-hmm. sea of voices, and they're just constantly hearing yep. your nonsense. All you're doing is just looking like a douche to everybody around you. Some guys are going to chuckle. Some might even join you. But the larger audience just thinks you're a douche, probably wants you to get kicked out. And a large portion of them probably sent the little, like, undisclosed message about you being yeah. a douchebag in your seat. Um, but the, the the thing is, like, everybody feels entitled because they bought the ticket, and it's their right now to sort of interact however they behave. And then you have Twitter and social media, and you have all these platforms that have further removed the barrier between you and a professional athlete. Back in the day, you only got that close to... Uh, a professional player if you bought tickets that were close to the you know the foul line or close to the uh either side of the court if you're talking basketball like you you just didn't have that same level of exposure and players weren't as necessarily as willing to go out and be part of the social conversation where now and i don't and i don't mean like politically social or any of that i just mean part of that the general conversation with their lives and the rest of the world. 
now everybody is on it. You have to sort, you have to kind of do it uh, to generate a brand for yourself because these massive contracts are getting sold out, not only for talent, but people who will put butts in seats and sell jerseys and whatnot, which is why Tim Tebow is getting a chance. It's not, not for any other reason other than the fact that he will generate revenue, right? Because he will sell tickets and he'll put, whether he does well, if he, if he tanks and does poorly this season and somehow ends up on the team next season, that's, you're, you're not going to see the same whole hum about it. it it's just going to be, you know, oh, okay, that guy should have not been in it, but you have to be able to market yourself. You have to be able to drive the conversation. And the easiest way to do that is through social media, interacting, talking with you know your fans the problem is that the social media world and the internet in general is just a toxic shithole no matter where you go no matter what it is no matter what the story someone finds a way to make some sort of big deal out of literally nothing i was on um oh man who was it i want to say it was uh I, I was on a reporter's Twitter page the other day and they put out uh, a tweet that says uh, fan arrested for throwing bottle at Kyrie. And then it says, you know, has two lines after it. Uh, after the Celtics game, uh, a fan threw a bottle at Kyrie Irving. He was arrested, uh, you know, whatever. It was very obvious that this guy put out a quick little message and it probably went out to like 12 different platforms. It made it to Twitter with the headline and the body of whatever that message was all in one. And instead of someone just reading at it, you had like English majors coming out being like, you wrote three sentences and you had to repeat the same sentence guilty, twice. Guilty You're of like, doing it, but not for people who are verified. Usually, uh, usually it's, it's in the, again, I use the stats, uh, stats podcast as, as my burner. It's my KD burner. You know what I mean? I, that's why sometimes I take L's and sometimes, ah. uh, you know, I like, uh, there needs to be an apostrophe between the I and the M, sir. <laughs> okay, whatever. But it's, it's, it, that's a prime example of people feeling entitled to share their opinion Ooh, no matter I'm what. taking way too many right? L's this episode. Like, way too many. <laughs> yeah, like that, that is, that is, not, I mean, that, that sort of interaction is an example of like, Someone's just giving you news. Why does your opinion matter about anything other than the the product of that that information that you're given? Not was it grammatically correct? Not was he the first one to post it? Not did he make another tweet eight days ago that you know supported or detracted against him? Like there's, oh, there's just yeah. Nobody just takes an information anymore. Everyone just has such. Uh, you got to like, read the article first. That's what you got. I, I get. Take the time, click the link, read the I, article. I get why I, I get why fans would be bothered by him walking out on the court and sort of rubbing his feet. I'm I don't like Kyrie. I think he's a little bit of a of a douche. I think he's a little arrogant. I think he's just weird. And the history has been sort of bubbling up with the Celtics for a little while now. I remember the first time he came back to the garden, he was Sage. walking around with Sage cleansing cleansing the demons. And then, you know, it's just Something about the Celtics just rubs him the wrong way, and he constantly feels the need to, to express his opinion or make his opinion known. And if you're going to walk out and you're going to step and rub your feet and whatever, I know, look, it's a mascot. It doesn't hurt anybody. They'll just clean the People floor. People do it on the Dallas Cowboys star all the time. They, People do it in college on other teams, like, you know, 
half oh half gosh. field thing. People people know they literally rip that that floor up every single night after the game so that they can come the in ice. and bring the yep. the Bruins ice. Like you, so like pump the brakes. Everyone being that upset. However, he was blatantly trying to be disrespectful because he wanted to get some form of reaction. Unfortunately, I think the reaction of a fan throwing a water bottle is never justified. You want to yell at him and call him a douche for doing yep. it? Sure. You want to call him a prima donna or a drama queen or whatever you want? By all means. You can't physically assault somebody for rubbing their foot on an imaginary object that happens to be your, your mascot. That's yeah. You definitely can't spit on someone. I, I think the player deserves to turn around and clock you in the mouth without yeah. fear of retribution and if it, that's the case. Like that is it just it just oh. goes to like for example, because the Wizards were playing the 76ers and and it was a Phillies fan or 76ers fan that dumped that popcorn on Brody. Like you're not helping your franchise. Like and, yeah. and that's why I think people don't realize. Like yeah. they, they think, oh, I'm gonna wear my jersey, I'm gonna go to the game, like I've earned this. Okay. Yes, you might have stayed home. You might have binge watched as many things as you possibly could, and you might have socially distanced and washed your yeah. hands and wore your mask and got your vaccine, all of those things. It doesn't entitle you to a golden ticket to be an asshole when you go back to your first sporting event. Yeah. It doesn't entitle you to project those feelings onto an athlete. It just doesn't. And that's why I say kick it back to Twitter. Because on Twitter, people can just block you, and they can just not listen to what you have to say, right? But it's a little more difficult to do that in real life when you're dodging Dasani bottles. You know what I mean? So like, eat, eat. yeah. Like if I show up, if I show up to dinner at your house and I cook something, put some time and effort in, I get my vaccines. So you don't have to worry about me giving you COVID. I pay for gas in my vehicle to drive all the way to your house. I bring you a nice glass of wine. Want to walk through the door? If your chicken sucks, can I spit on you or throw my yeah. cup at you because I don't like what you're doing? No, I can't. You would get your ass kicked. You would probably get arrested. So it's not that much different when it comes to, I don't care if your seat costs $12,000. doesn't matter. You don't own anybody there. You don't own the right. You are an idiot for paying that much for a ticket. Well, remember, you are, we saw a little honest. bit of this um, <laughs> with that um, that female fan at the Lakers game when they first started letting Lakers, what they served fans back yeah. then. And we thought, this is an isolated incident. Nope. This was, this was a purveyor of things to come. And I just hope, I mean, yeah. again, the guy's 21 years old. He got a felony. He's got a lifetime ban from the garden. He's not seeing a Bruins or a Celtics game in person again at home. Yeah. Those are the things you have to worry about. Do I think the charge will stick? I'm sure he'll probably get some representation. I'm sure he'll try, try and appeal it, but I don't, you're 21. You should not sure be fighting those I'm battles. Sure he'll get out, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll get out of the felony. It'll end up being, you know, some form of misdemeanor, but the oh. ban will be permanent, which if you're from Boston, that's you know a death sentence, and the, the unfortunate side is there are some people who are probably looking at him as if he's a That's hero. But before we move on, I also have to say this jumps, this does translate over to golf. For the love of God, can people please stop yelling every time someone tees hole! off? It is on on all eighteen you know? holes, yelling just so you get just so you can say. Hey, did you guys, did you guys hear me on the twelfth? I yelled something stupid like <laughs> "Webby Booey" or, yeah, you know, "Shine on, man, shine even... on." Like th- there were several times during this last weekend event where fans were yelling prior to the golfer making contact with the ball, which is a yeah. huge no-no. But like, 
come on it's it's stupid get in the hole was dumb yelling it every single time yelling every time someone tees off is the most obnoxious thing and i have to tell you when you do it your buddies might chuckle but secretly inside they fucking hate you (laughs) and everybody around you also hates you because it's just not funny it's not funny what's going to happen is they're going to stop serving booze at a lot of those locations because it's 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 not only disrespectful, but it just takes away from the audience watching at home when all you hear is just someone screaming. Like there are, go to the waste management open and do it there. Like yep. it's encouraged, get rowdy. Go to the Riders Cup, get rowdy. But come on, man. If you're like the Charles Schwab Open or the Masters or the Players Championship and you're yelling something stupid every time someone tees up, even if the ball goes 48 yards left and on the other fairway, you're still yelling, get in the hole on a 600 yard par five. You're stupid. You're stupid. And I hate you. I just got to say that. So cut I, I got to say, you know how hard it is to pseudo scroll at work on Instagram with, with the sound on and you're like, Oh, it's a golf clip. I'll, I'll be able to watch this guy, you know, or gal like tee off and won't hear anything. And then you put the sound on and it goes, click, get in the hole. You're like, Whoa. Jesus, you're like trying to turn the volume yeah. down real quick, and everyone's like, "Hey, is someone on their phone." And you're like, "No, not me. I'm totally not on a meeting watching Instagram clips. Nope, 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 not me." So yeah, stop ruining my, it's my even, meetings. It's not even. It's not even getting the hole oh, yeah. anymore. It's just something rubber chicken. Like it's just so that you can go home and say, "Hey, did you guys hear me yelling 12? Like yeah, and nobody gave a shit. You are you are the you are the audible spoken version. Of those stupid horns they gave out the World during uh, Who was the Zales? World Cup a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, remember how annoying those are? You're that in human <laughs> form. So shut up. Stop it. Fans Seriously. everywhere. Stop with the douchiness. This PSA brought to you by the Stats of yeah. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. We can talk about the Celtics if you want, Tim, but they're about to lose. Um, we spoke last episode. We said, do you think it would be a sweep? And we said, no. We think it'll go to five games. It went to five games. Uh, it's 120-101 right now. Two minutes left to go in the fourth. Maybe if we were full strength. We, yeah. Maybe we've had all the timeouts. Maybe if, if a Nets player sprained their ankle, we'd have a chance. But a couple, couple... No, no, because they got two more all-star players <laughs> exactly. and just bringing off exactly. the bench. Uh, Durant, Harden, and Kyrie combined the other night for 104 points. It was, it was absolutely insane. It was an obliteration. Yeah. And this was after... The score to... They scored 148 right. and points. Three of them accounted for 104 <laughs> points. It was absolutely bananas. And this came after yeah. uh, Tatum had his 50-point game. Uh, and, and, and those are great. We, we have those moments, and, we, and we've come to expect them at a, at a Boston Celtics team that's full strength. Yeah. They're, they're leaving the playoffs. Yep. We talked about this many times, so we'll, we'll give a quick in memoriam here. This is a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, beat the snot out of the Miami Heat, and honestly could have given the Lakers yep. a run last year. Had they planned things yep. out a little more? Had they managed some minutes? Injuries are always going to hit you, but like Boston is a team that has the talent presently. So their execution is just super quizzical this year. And I, I don't understand, maybe it's like reintegrating like post-bubble or or what? Maybe it was like more games and they just couldn't, didn't have the legs beneath them, but you draw Brooklyn in the first full round of the playoffs after needing to play in. When if you yep. had just won a few more games, you probably would have been safe. 
you probably had a little more rest. And you had a little more rest, and you got walloped. Now, I get it. Brooklyn is a team. Yep. They're stacked to the core. They're going to make a deep run, if not make it to the finals, if not hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy. Uh, I think they're, I think they're taking you know, the whole so, thing. It'll be them or like the Mavericks with some right, crazy upset. You don't necessarily want to be a speed bump in someone else's championship story. And I think, I think right. the grittiness that we've come to appreciate with Boston teams anyways is kind of gone by the wayside a little bit. I mean, I think the Bruins are doing it because they're getting young and hungry again, but the Patriots don't have that anymore. The Red Sox don't necessarily have that anymore. Um, you know, they've, they've had success, obviously, making you know, the, the World Series in, in the past few years, but they've been, they've been struggling as of late, uh, especially the, the departure of Mookie. And now the Celtics are just the latest Boston team to be suffering from what I would deem championship city hangover. And they're just like, everything's fine. No, the room is on fire. Everything is not fine. <laughs> you were in the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. You're getting blown out by the Brooklyn Nets, um, a team that you've lost to multiple times this year. So it's not like you don't know how to plan, how to defend. Um, injuries you're not really going to be able to solve. But it was well, it was painful to watch this Celtics game the other night. Uh, you know, because you, you see yeah. they get that big win, and they're like, all right, cool. Maybe, maybe they can win a second game. <laughs> nope. It was like it was like nah. the Brooklyn Nets were a cat that was like playing with a dead mouse, and the mouse wakes up and is like, "Oh, I got a chance!" And then the, the cat's like, "No, you don't!" And it just slowly puts its hand and just suffocates the mouse. That that's what that's what this game was tonight. At no point did I ever yeah. think the Celtics had a chance. They were always six to nine points behind. You look in the fourth quarter, one twenty one on one. How does that happen? How do yeah. you just allow a team that you you stay close enough with and they just go ah, overdrive? See ya. Have you looked at the roster? Yes, I, for I mean, the, I, I understand Nets, that's that, why. But they 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 took the concept of a super team and morphed it into an all star team. Like that is is an all star, right? I uh, I said I thought it was going to be the Nets. People asked me about the Lakers. I said the Lakers always felt like one big injury away from and disaster. They are. And guess what yeah. just happened? AD banged up. Um, so. I don't know. I think it's the look and feel of the NBA is starting to change a lot where you have players that are coming in who are driving successful teams and are doing well, but it always comes down to playoffs where you're going up against the buzzsaw of a team that is just stacked, right? Like the Lakers, they're stacked. You can make all you want about, you know, the, the supporting cast for AD and, uh, and LeBron, but, Come on, that's a solid team. The Nets took that, and you know they're like the Lakers on yeah. steroids now, where you don't have to worry about necessarily the fourth or fifth. You have to worry about the seventh and the eighth man People on the bench who's going to come in. Like you can't. Stop but like Blake Griffin is like, oh, oh, do I get a chance to play? Can I score some more points, in? Okay, Coach? Cool. Blake I? Griffin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, when you look at all the other New England teams. um, the Bruins have always been a team that has been in the conversation. You have the core, but they do rotate in some young, fresh blood. They do make a couple moves. You would hope that they would, you know, might have made a better move uh, or an, an earlier move away from Rask, but now he's proven us all wrong because he's he's doing well. Typical Rask form. Struggle a little bit, Come up you know, middle, yep. lower middle of the class uh, of the uh, of the goalie class this year, and then playoffs roll in, and he's got the best save percentage in the entire league. The Red Sox, 
you know, they're overachieving and I don't need, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure I agree with like as of late they're struggling in the last ten games they're seven and three they're I, two behind Tampa and it just happens to be Tampa's uh, an happened, amazing season uh, an amazing yeah an amazing season. season yep yeah I mean well I I just mean like Boston sports the, the Red Sox are like six hundred and I think Tampa is like six thirty four for the season like they're they're just playing they're just playing well so they I think don't forget last season they didn't have a head coach because you know Hora mm-hmm. mm-hmm. beating yep. all that nonsense. Um, so last year was a little bit of a blip. I think they have a lot of, I think they have a lot of young, t- did it hurt watching Mookie leave because of what he's been able to do in Los Angeles? A hundred percent. There's a bunch of those guys who've gone on Jackie Bradley jr. You know, a lot of those guys who've gone on to the teams where you, you wish they found ways to keep them around, but I do think they're finding ways to be part of the conversation. They have a young enough core that I think with a couple changes, they'll continue to be part of the conversation because, again, they're underachieving. I mean, they're overachieving now for what we expected from them. And if this is like a growing team, you know, the next few years should be even better. But I, I, I have really no answer for the Celtics. Tatum is obviously yeah, someone either. you want to you want to keep around. Um, th- there's plenty of folks in that core that they could find some success on, but. I, I think the NBA is kind of in a rough position for the next few years until something happens where a rule change or a salary cap adjustment or something comes into play where you can't put together these just monster teams anymore because it's not fun to watch knowing that it's going to come down to like two teams, three teams. I mean, it's fun. If I it's, mean, if Giannis, it's fun if, if it's one of your teams. If Giannis, right? Yeah, and I mean, even then, it's it's like. You know, as much fun as I had watching the Patriots win all those years, it took away from like the regular season where did I watch almost every game, if not every game, I did, but I wasn't as invested as I was if it was, you know, those early years going into it because it's no longer expected for you to lose any of those games or for them to matter much because you're still going to go even if you go into the playoffs with the, the last seed because you took a couple games off, it's, you, you know, you're, you're still expected to win the whole thing. So your season starts when the playoffs start. Basketball is becoming this sort of, you know, whatever team LeBron's on is probably in the conversation. And then whatever team gets built to compete with LeBron I mean, is going to be in the conversation. That's on ice right now. That's on you have a couple surprises. Right now. If the Suns are able to do the impossible and upend that, that, that I think takes a, uh, takes a lot anyways. Uh, Nah, but then it goes to the Nets. Like it's just it's that I I honestly think it's that obvious. Like Luca, he's gonna do. I mean, he's a magician out there. He's one of the, if not the best player, all around, well-rounded player on the court right now. I'm not talking all time. I'm not talking about God. I'm just saying right now on the court. If you got to pick one guy, really hard to argue against uh, Luca right now. So he could help that team go deep. But it's not gonna. It's not gonna be enough. You're, you're just gonna get <laughs> the Nets could literally Half sit their team. one of their best players every single game and not even flinch because one, they had to do that all season because they were constantly having to worry about injuries or people sitting out or whatnot. So it's gonna come down to the Nets. I think even if the Lakers come in, it'll be maybe a more entertaining series to watch. But I, I, I just don't. I just don't see it unless. Unless you have AD healthy and LeBron healthy, and each one of them is putting up forty-five points on their own each night, not happen. Not happen. Uh, it is it is not the season 
the playoffs that we thought we would get in the in the postseason for the NBA. But I, I think right. it's I think we are going to get yet another new champion uh, this 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 uh, this postseason. So I think that's good. <clears throat> let's let's quickly talk about the Bruins. I like I'm want to do yep. put my foot in my mouth a lot as I we spoke and we started this episode talking about me taking <laughs> L's on Twitter. Um, I we also spoke last episode about the Bruins and how they were either going to face you know a team like um, <clears throat> Montreal or uh, Jesus. Who they just play <laughs> or Toronto? No, 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 no. The Capitals. Yeah, no. But oh. just, I was talking about how, like, for example, Toronto was up three games to to nil on Montreal. I'm like, all right, the Habs, yeah, they're done, they're toast. Uh, Montreal came back and forced a game seven in overtime, and then yep. Montreal won yep. game seven. So now, like, they've gone forward. Uh, the Bruins showed a ton, an absolute metric shit ton of hustle in the first game. Loved it. Super aggressive. Every time the Islanders yep. scored, that's who they, fa- they faced in the first round. Um, Boston came back. Well, second round, sorry. Boston came back, and, and they, they had a goal to answer. Then they started pouring it on. Yep. And it was like, it was the the third period where it was ended up being 5-2, game one. And you're like, oh, my God. Because we talked about this line. You know, trading for Hall was something that I think a lot yep. of people talked about. They said it's going to be good for depth. The way the Bruins are deploying that line right now, it's hell. It's absolute hell because the, in a sense, they're like the Nets. Like you can bring someone off the ice like Krejci or Marshawn, just sit, sit for about a minute. Hall, get out there. Or, you know what I mean? Like go yeah. double up on Komarov. Go, go put pressure on the net. Um, you know, in the first game, they had like 13 or 14 shots on goal against the Capitals, right? And then in this last series, when they opened up against the Islanders, it was like 20, 25 shots on goal, and they scored on five of them, right? So then game yep. two, last night, uh, you know, Monday night, Memorial Day, and whew, back and forth, back and forth. But the Islanders kept kept getting ahead. So when the Bruins finally came back in the third period, you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, it's 3-3. Here we go. I've seen this story before. And then the announcers went, and they jinxed it. They said, oh. I don't know who can stop this Boston line. And I was like, fuck, here we go. <laughs> you had to say it. Game went yeah. to OT. Rask gave up a goal within like a minute of OT starting. And I don't put that on Rask, to be honest. The Islanders were super fast. They were super fast the first game. They just didn't connect on a lot of a lot of their shots. The Islanders spent mucho minutes in Rask's face the majority yeah. of that game. And they just wanted it more, I think, in OT. And yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of neat, but it's not neat how in overtime when the losing team loses an OT, they just get off the ice about as quick as they can because <laughs> no one wants to be on there. Like, yeah. they, they just want to get back into the locker room and say, this is fuel. I'm going to kick your ass the next time I see you. Uh, and, and it's been a very, very physical series yeah. uh, thus far. There's just two games. There's been penalty minutes, and I, I like the way that's going, but you're going to lose some games. You can't sweep in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm just a little bit concerned. That we used to be, we that the Boston used to be the aggressor in OT, and now we're sliding back just yeah. a little bit. Maybe I'm overreacting, Tim. Tell me if I'm overreacting, but I, I mean, I think a little bit. It's tough to say in one game. I mean, they stomped the Capitals. Yeah. That was, was nice, like an ugly series. Um, I think a couple things going on. Rask seems to not be a hundred percent healthy for any one of these games, and I think some games it's. Not necessarily him taking a series or two off or any of that sort of stuff, but I think 
in combination of him not being completely healthy and the Bruins not being able to defend the front of the net, just allow guys to that's, kind of that's crash in. That's the worst in. part. It's incredibly difficult. Imagine, imagine being, imagine your position as an NHL goalie trying to stop either a 110 mile an hour small rubber disc flying at, from any angle at you or little quick wrist shots that are like twitch reactions you have to be able to jump for and the whole time you're doing it you have a 210 pound man in full gear swim around in front of you so you're not only trying to follow this disc we have to look around people i think it's just uh it's an impossible impossible task I, I don't know how you uh ultimately come up with a game plan around that other than your guys taking out the guys who are in yeah. front of the net right that's all and, you and have to do well, not all you have to do. That's all you can do, really. And I, or keep the puck out of the zone. And it's been so difficult. Keep it down on the it's offensive side. It's been so side. difficult, I think, for the Bruins yeah. to do that because the Islanders have just been parking themselves practically right in front of Rask. And, yeah. you know, you get a couple of those goals where it's like you're talking about. You got someone in front of you. You're trying to figure out where the puck's coming from. And then, boom, it comes out the other way. That's great strategy by the Islanders. Yep. Great strategy. Boston yeah. has the scores. Boston has the depth. Yeah. They, they they should be doing the same thing on the other side. And I, I almost wonder, and put my little tinfoil hat on, are we, are we just leaving Rask out there because we know what he's capable of? Or are we leaving him out there because we want to see how far he can go until he breaks and then we put a brand new goalie in? Because either, either way, it's super uh, risky. No, I don't. no, because, I mean, typically in, in previous postseasons, they would alternate. You'd have Rask out there for a game or two, and then you'd bring in, uh, you know, the secondary goalie who came in and did fine. I mean, there was there's been playoffs where you had, you know, the backup goalie, quote unquote, who would come in. He would play like two games out of the series. Why they're why they're not moving on from there? I think it's because he has one of the highest save percentages, if not the highest save percentage in the entire postseason right now. So, um, I it just is what it is. Yeah, they didn't get blown out. They lost yeah. in an overtime. So I'm, I mean, I'm not overly concerned with that's going to happen, right? Like I, I think something during playoffs that everyone kind of forgets is that this is supposed to be the best of the teams in the divisions going up against each other. So to expect anybody to go through, I mean, it's not, it's not football. Yeah. You're one and done. Like you, you have to play best of seven in all of these and. There are, there's going to be scenarios where you're going to lose a game. It's going to happen. The fact that they lost in overtime and not a blowout for me, I think, is is pretty promising. The fact that they came behind and pushed it into overtime, they scored two goals yep. in the third period. Those are all good things and positives to take away. Rask is going to, you know, sometimes he gets sloppy. Sometimes he gives one or two of them away, and you just kind of have to game plan around it. But, I mean, right now it's really tough to argue against Rask as the goalie, despite soft goals he might let up every now and again, and despite, you know, any sort of linging or nagging nagging injuries that he has there, because how how are you gonna argue against it? Who yeah. like you gotta bring in a backup and replace the best playoff goalie that's in the league right now? Like no, you're not. And especially if it's because you lost in overtime. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, that's I'm not, not I'm not saying like, oh you lost in overtime, time to switch the goalie. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. what we're used to seeing is, is there some rotation? So there's not. So it's like, all right, we're sticking with Rask. And, and I get it because of the history. 
right? But I'm asking if it's only because of the history and not like the recency bias. Um, but again, total fan overreaction. You lose 4-3 in OT and you're like, oh my God, right? But like not really the worst thing overall. I just would love to see just as much hustle on the defensive side of the puck as we're seeing right now with the line. Because the line just looks like a wave after wave after wave after wave of talent. And when they're on, no one can really get in front of them. You can only hope to keep up with them. And I kind of want Boston to get back to that bruising sort of mentality because if you have to face the Canadians, they just went to game seven. They, they forced back-to-back OT wins. That's, that's, that's a little bit of momentum. And because you have fans now, I think that adds a little icing on the cake and you don't necessarily be in the wrong side of that. Boston's had some OT wins as well this year, but you, you want to have the reputation for being stellar in OT, not, Mostly good in OT. That's that's just my thing. I mean, Pasternak, Hall, Krejci, Marshan. A couple of seasons ago, this was not a line that would be accepted by NHL 2K. They would have said, "Nope, deny this trade." Too much firepower. Thankfully, Boston has it. Young, hungry core, um, and it and it comes and goes in waves. You know, some games like you'll you'll have a a player with a hat trick, just absolutely goal scoring machines. And then some names you win 2-1. Yep. And that's just kind of the way that the, the ice goes that night. I, I, I just want I just want one Boston team just to really go far this year. Because I just don't think it's going to be the, either the Sox or the Patriots. So I really want the Bruins to do the legwork this year. And that's why I'm just kind of like, come on, don't fuck this up. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Tim, let's end this episode of the Sassamara Podcast talk a little bit about mental health. Um, it's something that we've, we briefly touched on. I think that with everything that's gone on in last year, mental health has been a very, very big, mm-hmm. big thing for uh, a lot of people in, in America, in the world. And we, we talked about how sports really affects a lot of people's mental health, which I think is a big part of why sports continue during the pandemic. Um, even though there was risk there, because a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment and utility from it. Naomi Osaka, young tennis phenom, uh, this week withdrew from the French Open because um, she said that the 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 pregame press conferences, along with other interviews and other media obligations, like she suffers from depression and anxiety, and it got to a point where she didn't feel that she could handle it, and she said, "You know, I'm going to step away. I, I don't want to do this this media thing." Um, there was fines that were levied. The director of the French Open put a nasty tweet out and called her a brat and then deleted it. Um, a, a lot of people are like sort of weighing in and kind of saying they're, they're, they're two bits of it, but this is the problem. We expect so much out of these young men and women. And I, I, we're already seeing the argument. You get paid millions of dollars to play a game. Therefore, shut up, do the media, do the media bit, do as many questions as you want. But then there was a question, not only, you know, that Naomi has been asked many, many times, which is, oh, how do you, you know, prepare? You know, what did you feel during this match? All of those stock um, softball type questions that she answers many, many times, and she's probably not a big fan of. But I think we're also sort of forgetting that athletes have their own personalities. And if an athlete decides, listen, I kind of don't want to do this because I'm struggling with it. We have to listen to that. And we should be respectful of that. Uh, and there's too much snap judgment saying, oh, you're an athlete. You get paid millions of dollars. So just shut up and answer the questions when we're not in that. 
she's 23 years old, Tim, and she has $37 million to her name. She doesn't need to do any press conferences. I understand it's in the collective bargaining agreement. And I understand that, you know, it's sort of a social construct. Hey, you, you play professional sports. There's going to be beat writers that are available. They're going to ask you questions. You're going to go ahead and, and put your spin on it. And that's going to be that. She hasn't not done that. She's not saying she'll never do press again. She's been pretty open with the press. She just reached a point where she just felt like, look, I don't want to do this. And that's okay. We're too far removed from thinking that athletes are demigods and they're not human beings. It's just not reality. They are human beings. They have feelings. They obviously are going to get to a point where they can break. And for a 23-year-old woman to say, listen, my mental health is more important than playing in your tennis competition, that's huge. And for the director to call her a brat, for everyone to hop on Twitter and, and put their own two cents on it and say anything except for, wow, way to go. Good for you. We want these athletes here for the long run. We want people to be good stewards of the game, and we want them to grow and mature with the game. And when people like Serena Williams are saying, yep, I totally understand where you're coming from, Naomi, because I went through it too, and I, I applaud you for speaking up. When there are so many athletes that are, that are saying, we agree, it's no different than when Marshawn Lynch, for example, gave his famous press conference at the Super Bowl. He didn't like talking to media. I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that to every single question so you can ask me all the questions you want, but my answer is not going to change. Oh, hey, Marshawn, what temperature is it outside? I'm just here so I don't get fined. Uh, how do you feel the Super Bowl? I'm just here so I don't get fined. Marshawn, what's your favorite? I'm just here so I don't get fined. Like, he's stuck to it. And there are players who will do that. And I, again, applaud Naomi for going to that point and saying, not walking away from tennis entirely, but I need some time. Um, I've suffered with long bouts of depression, and I just don't feel that I'm up to this task. That's fine. When someone says, I've got to tap out a little bit, that's good. We should want people to do that because that teaches what? It teaches the next generation that they, they can do those things. It's important to be that first person, that pioneer, if you will, to take that first step. Now, from a contractual perspective, right? Sponsors competition organizers i'm sure they're all going to say their part and it's all going to be a very very nice way of saying you're obligated to speak to the media so just do it what is the point of you getting this year's quotes from a prodigy like naomi osaka if you don't get it for the next five years would that juice be worth the squeeze i would say no so if you're going to seed some ground i think you you have to let the prying cameras not into people's lives uh, as much. And, and sometimes that does happen with the media. Now, not even a second or two after this had occurred. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying a second, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but there was another tennis professional who was asked this question, Coco Goff, another young tennis phenom. And they said, you're compared to the, to the, the Williams sisters a lot. Is that because you're black or is it because you're really good at tennis? Something like, it, you know, I'm paraphrasing there, but like, why would I want to sit through a press conference when people ask me softball questions and other people ask loaded or complex questions to get them clickbait? Why would I want to do that? I wouldn't. And if I had $37 million or as someone on Deadspin called it, fuck you money, 
I'm not going to play by your rules forever. I'm going to do it until I hit a breaking point. I applaud Naomi for saying out loud, this is my breaking point. I've got to work on me. I get that the timing's not right, but, you know, take it with grace. We should all do that. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I agree. I, it's kind of a weird spot where mental health has become a major focus for a lot of athletes these days. And it's really hard to argue against any of that. And I'm not in a place to offer up any sort of opposition to it either. I mean, the, everyone looks at these guys for all the glitz and the glam and the, and the money and the fame and all that sort of stuff. But people forget, you know, the stress that has to go into all of this, whether it's taking care of your body, training, the grueling schedule day in and day out to maintain as a professional athlete. Um, the only thing that kind of stops and gives me pause is if I think, you know, we talked about it with Kyrie and a lot of the NBA stuff where now you're so much more accessible to your fans via social media than you ever wanted to be, or than you ever thought you would be. And some folks embrace it and some don't. You have to be someone, uh, when you're in that position, you're expected to be not only the face of the sport, you're expected to be someone who's an advocate for the sport, someone who helps grow the game, grows interest. She is one of those players that's in a position to do that because of her age. She's very young. She's had a lot of success early on. Uh, she's sort of that protege, right? And in all of history, anyone who's successful at their sport tends to become, for better or worse, the face of that sport. Because with success comes recognition, and with recognition comes the drive to help move the sport forward. I wonder, for, for me, I wonder if this has more, because she said she had depression, but she didn't really expand on it, whether or not that's depression because of the way she was treated when she won the first time, and, you know... There were some boos and, you know, people who were not happy with her beating Serena and Serena had to defend her. So that's not really the way you envision that first big win go going when you beat, you know, one of your idols, right? Um, so whether it's not how that was handled, whether or not there's some other underlying situation going on that we're not privy to and it's really none of our business, it's just, it's it's tough because... If you got to side with the players on giving them their space off the court, there's got to be some sort of access to somebody you're paying to watch play. And unfortunately, that's that sounds harsh, but that's kind of the reality of it. I think in terms of tennis, though, there seems to be this underlying... I won't go so far as to say racism, but there seems to be a lack of a filter a lot of these events yeah. because a lot of these events aren't played on American soil. A lot of them are played in other countries mm -hmm. and not everybody is as, you know, sensitive or aware of what some of these questions may mean because, you know, other countries are a little bit more blunt. Some of them are, yes, obviously a little bit more racist. Some of them are, well, not racist. Some of the translation and some of the ways they go about asking questions and having conversations especially when translated into American it comes across a little bit more harsh than I think uh, they may intend, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
once it leaves your mouth, it's out there and it's up to the world to consume it. It's up to the athletes to, to take it or leave it, respond to it, tear you down, whatever the case may be. It's, it's their turn to take action. So I wonder if some of this has to do with tennis as a sport. Um, but the, the only concern for me is that, I mean, I think everyone should take care of their mental health first and foremost. Uh, Kevin Love, like I think Kyrie could probably use a little bit of this sort of like mental health break where he should just step away for a little bit and kind of focus on that. You have uh, Antonio Brown, uh, you know, who was sort of forced into doing it because he had kind of a little bit of a breakdown. Um, his was very public, generated some, you know, court proceedings, whether or not there was complete accuracy to a lot of those has been up for debate, but still he has shown enough that there's some, some questionable behaviors that have gone on there. And I think it's one of those things that's just sort of underlying for a lot of athletes and they just don't want to talk about it. Right. Like the stress of sitting down in front of media, who's grilling you, um, especially if you're someone at her age. My my only concern, if she comes out and says, like, I never want to do interviews again, and she's going to cite mental health. What really stops everyone from having sort of that same philosophy? And then the next thing you know, we have no insight into anybody anymore on uh, during interviews. Because yeah. I, I still rely more on interviews than I do on social media, right? Because there's no tone, there's no context, it's just little blips. A lot of times it's not even their wording. They have someone there who's typing them out and like driving their marketing mm-hmm. I guess the side yeah. of it. And I think for me it's um I think it gives players the ability to kind of vocalize who they are or what their actual thoughts are without any misinterpretation. Um I think what I think what they should do is they should look instead of it, it's tough. It's tough because I don't. I never want to sound like I'm not on the side of an athlete who's who's who feels like they have, you know, the mental incapacities to to handle situations like that. Because it's I I can't even imagine what that must be like. I couldn't put myself in their shoes. But all I'm thinking of is what this might mean for those who have literally no problems dealing with that sort of stuff. They're just going to use that now as an excuse. And then it kind of waters down the actual importance for a lot of people. Like I could see someone like Kyrie coming out and being like, for my mental health, I'm not going to take part in some of these. And like, then it becomes like everyone says it. And then the folks who, I I don't think this is going to happen though. You know what I mean? Like she, she's done press before. She was just saying specifically like, Look for this one. I don't really think that you know I'm going to do it. Uh, and then she decided because maybe maybe because of the backlash or maybe because she was planning it before now. She was like, I'm just not gonna not gonna focus on tennis. I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing. And she has the money to be able to do that. And I do believe that there are people who would abuse the term, like you're saying. Yeah. Oh, I gotta I gotta take a mental health day. But uh, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, um, because that sort of stuff happens, people who do abuse it are pretty obvious about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no one's really silky smooth, like this sump coffee stout about trying to, <laughs> you know, figure out, Oh, I, I need a mental health day. Like the, the, the audio doesn't match the video. That's what we would always say. Yeah. But I mean, know? imagine like, let's say this was someone like Tom Brady, for example, someone who was successful almost out of the gate, who went on to have a lot of success. Um, There's a lot of sort of, 
he got he had the sort of moniker of being pretentious because he was always very short and direct during a lot of his press conferences. He's opened up a little bit kind of as time has gone on, but early on, you know, he was getting judged negatively for the way he was addressing some of them and he was groomed as a patriot and it was the patriot way and all that sort of stuff. But imagine if early on we never got any of those insights. Like how how are you supposed to like what's what becomes the expectation as to how you can relate to the athletes in any given sport, especially in tennis where it's not a team sport. It's an individual sport yeah. and you need reasons. And what well, you would, you would like to think that just someone's performance on the court is enough for your fandom, but a prime example of that would be the way you feel about Tiger Woods, right? Like you look at Tiger Maybe. Woods, if you took him just at his performance, uh, when he's on the course and how he played, it'd be really hard to argue against whether or not you should be a fan. However, we have to take into account the things that happen off the court, whether they be interviews or actions that come out after the fact. It's part of it. It's part of developing your following and your interest in an individual is to hearing their input on the way they think they played, the way they think their opponent played. Um, what I think would be a better sort of direction to go in instead of just not having questions maybe give the players you know the ability to decline to answer questions so if someone does say hey do you think you're successful well, like, be, like a couple yeah like it says hey uh do you think you're compared to them because you're black or because you're good like you know that's a question i'm i'm choosing not to answer and like just move on right if you think it's something well, i mean just 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 think about it. Like we're two white dudes. Yeah. If someone was like, "Oh, you're white and you play basketball. Do you think you're Larry Bird?" We'd be like, "No." Like what? Ask a better question. Like, yeah. We might we might be more brash about it, but I I think necessarily. And you you touched on this in the beginning part of your statement as well. Like tennis is not one of those massively consumed sports. It is is it is a little antiquated and it is built off of you have these these. um well, I, memberships. Actually, I, you know, it's hard to get into the sport. You have you have these sponsors that throw a lot of money into it, so they're expecting a certain thing. I can understand that there are probably a, there's a quota for questions that has to be asked. Every one of these things, I'm, I want to um, look. And, I want to look and see because I'm willing to bet tennis. Uh, if we're talking like worldwide, is probably one of the most viewed sports on the planet. Like we we look at every sport mm. through like a veiled. Uh, you know, it's like American, American sport, like baseball is consumed at, at large scale, but not the MLB, but like cricket and, you know, European football are two of the most consumed sports on the planet. But that's not part of our everyday conversation because we never see it. But let me see. Let's see. Most viewed sports in the world. Uh, most viewed sports worldwide. Let's take a look. Okay, so here's the list. Top 10 most watched sports worldwide today. Number one, soccer. European football. Half of the yep. planet watches that. Second is cricket. Yeah, not surprising there. I, so I've never, looked that's up, that's I've, I've never looked up this list, but how's this? First soccer, second cricket, the two sports I just labeled before we even looked this up. Third is basketball. Fourth is hockey. Mm -hmm. Fifth, tennis. Really? Fifth, 
fifth in the world. One in the world. Billion people. One a seventh of the world population watch tennis. watches tennis. Yep. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It, it doesn't, well, it doesn't like, change we have, our the, we have the U.S. Open, Obviously. but you have the French Open, the Australian Open. Right. You have all of these, and most of the players who are successful. So one of the big draws around tennis in America is when American athletes are successful at it, because you have Serena Williams. Uh, now you have Osaka. But like, if you if you look back at you know a lot of the successful tennis players, most of them aren't American, so they're. They're on the radar of tennis fans, and most people have heard of like a Rafael Nadal, you know, guys like that. Or a Maria Sharapova. Yeah, like a lot of people have heard of those people, but they're, they may not be the biggest fans. We get sucked in the same way we get sucked in to the World Cup when the U.S. team is doing well or the uh, the women's team is doing well. We get pulled in because we're like, oh, we can root for something we can we can selfishly root for the United States in this global event in an area where we're not usually the best outside of women's soccer. Women's soccer is hands down the best soccer team in in the entire world. The best. Um, but like men's soccer, we get roped in when they start doing well. Like we're you know major soccer fans because it's the U.S. But in reality, it's such a small like drop in the bucket. When like we like we said, MLS is where professional soccer players come to retire it's like the it's the world's champion league is what mls is like they come here when they're done they want to earn a couple million dollars more they want to just run house on everybody uh for whatever reason um but yeah tennis is one of those in fact as you work down the list tennis volleyball table tennis and then baseball like the next American volleyball, the next American table tennis. Yeah, the next American quote unquote American sport, which I would argue wow. say is you know mostly like a South American sport. Like it's big in the United mm-hmm. States, but a lot of our talent doesn't is isn't necessarily homegrown. A lot of it comes from outside the U.S. Uh, is literally tenth on the list behind table tennis in volleyball. So it goes to show you how skewed our perspective is of popular sports when you're talking. Worldwide, but yeah, tennis, man, it's 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 consumed by a lot a lot of people. So you kind of see why there's some importance on some of those interviews because it's your only opportunity outside of social media to connect your one billion people who are watching to the people who play that sport because you are trying to connect. If you just Let's say there was no media whatsoever. You just brought someone out on the court. They played their match and whoop, they were done. Once they were whisked away, you had no insight to who they were as a person, what they were like, any of that stuff. Like, how are you going to form any sort of connection with that person? Do you know if you have similar views on their opponents? Do you have similar views on tennis? Do you have similar views on preparation and all that sort of stuff? Now, when it starts to get to the extracurricular side of things, that's where I think the gray area comes in. But then you start, you know, you're going to have that whole other side of the conversation with, okay, do we really want to start limiting media and what they're allowed to talk about? Because then now it becomes that kind of conversation where, but it, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough, right? Cause you know, especially in the United States where we're big on our freedom of speech and freedom of press and all that sort of stuff, whether it's right or wrong, this isn't, this isn't that kind of conversation. I'm just saying we live in an environment where everyone's freedoms are constantly put on the forefront. And now if we want to start 
suggesting, okay, do we want to limit the kind of questions that they can ask? I think the better solution would be to give the athletes the ability to decline to answer some questions across the board. Now, or more outlets, right? Yeah. Like you have the Players Tribune, which, you know, players could write long think pieces in. And, you know, a, a lot of them do traditionally. But I think you bring up a very good point. <clears throat> if there was like a couple, we, we would call them mulligans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, we're, yeah. We're not going to answer that question or, you know, plead the fifth, right? Like, you know, whatever you see, whatever it is that you wanted to say about it, I, I think that would be fair. I think there are going to be some questions that, during Super Bowl Media Week, for example, that are just funny because you want to get the response, and there are some that are just dumb. And and to be honest, there's also, I mean, this is just me speaking under the the impression that there, there's a you know some sort of precedent where they can't say it. We've seen it over and over where athletes have just chosen to not answer questions. Like Tom Brady was a master at it. Marshawn Lynch just literally sat down at a press conference the whole time yep. saying. I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined. So like, yep. Some of it may come down, and this I, I don't want this to come across sounding like you know I'm insensitive or anything like that. But there may also become like a level of mental toughness that comes with being a professional athlete, someone who has made a career out of being in the limelight, and it may come down to just the fact that you may not be cut out to live in the limelight. You 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 have gotten here. From the success of what you've been doing, the success of the game, but things are different when you trend when you go from like a successful athlete in a, a college or high school or whatever, and then when you move into the professional world where you're getting paid out, you have don't forget you have sponsorships that you've agreed to represent, you have businesses you've agreed to represent. With all of that comes this sort of like the the reason sponsors come to you is because one they want their brand to be on your attire when you show up on television winning majors but also in press conferences and on social media they're they're buying into a presence they're buying into an individual which is why you see oftentimes when things don't stack up people start pulling sponsorships because they're like oh we don't want to be associated with it. No one's going to pull a sponsorship from Osaka. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is right. when you transition into a position to make money off of your ability, it's a very different world than like if you were a college athlete at some event that Sports Illustrated or ESPN or Yahoo Sports or CNBC, CBS Sports is covering that event. And now they're going to ask you questions because there's no you're not reaping the benefits of any of the financial gain from any of that stuff that follows with those sort of media and press junkets and all that sort of stuff. Like part of the reason you're getting paid a lot of money for these things is because you're in a position to represent brands. So it's, it's a, it's a difficult and sort of sticky conversation to have because nobody should ever put themselves in a jeopardizing position if they think, their mental health is going to suffer from it. But I think it'd be like saying you were, you were an actor, successful actor. Like let's say Tom Cruise, for example, one of the most successful actors on the entire planet decided that he no longer wanted to do red carpets or press junkets, right? You're making these big movies and part of your job 
is promoting those movies. So you're going to these things to be there to ask questions and talk about the film, your co-stars, what went into it, all of that stuff. Imagine if he just stopped. He just filmed the movie and then disappeared into the sunlight, or into into the, the sunset. Like That wouldn't fly either because you have to be there to promote yourself. You have to promote what you're doing. The same thing as the U.S. Open, the French Open. Like they're big deals, especially after COVID. Like it's a it's an especially larger deal because people are going to want to know where <laughs> your mind's at, how you feel about your preparation. Do you like having fans back? Like this is the welcome back to the normalcy of the regular world, and to have like your star athlete just be like, I I, I can't do this, and then say but, you know. But what? it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that though. It wasn't just like oh, I just decided I'm just randomly going to pick the French Open. I'm not going to. I'm not going to speak about it. You know what I mean? And uh, I think, I think there's a lot of social constructs that we put into talking with the media and everything and things that we just anticipate and expect are going to be done. And yes, maybe there's, maybe there's some stuff in contracts and with sponsorships, all of that. Totally get it. I think the strength comes from the fact that where a Tom Brady or a Michael Jordan might've pushed through inconsistencies or tough times, and they might not wanted to have given the interview, but they did. Right. You, you saw more emotion from MJ in the last dance than you did the entirety of his career. Yeah. And, and I think I, we have to applaud the next generation of athletes for saying, Theo, I, I'm, I'm going to focus on my mental health right now. I, I need to be the best person I can be. If I'm going to be this well-oiled machine, I'm going to continue to do it. I've got to take a, a moment for me. Yeah. And she even apologized in, in her statement that she put on Instagram. She said, I understand the timing is not convenient. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm sorry about that. She she went above and beyond because she really didn't have to do anything. Yeah. And I, and I agree. Um, she, I don't think she necessarily had to apologize. And I think the right move would be what she did. Like, if your mental health is a concern, you withdraw from the event. Right. You can't. Yep. You can't say. Uh, but she did. Yeah, exactly. I think she handled it. Great. I have no fault at all. I, I mean, I, I, I don't fault her for any of it. I think the way she handled it. Is how it should be handled. Now, if she came out and said, I don't want to do press conferences, and then said, oh, it's because of my mental health, and then still went out and played a full tournament, then you kind of could be like, you're still kind of exposing yourself to the media. You're still putting yourself out there. I think what she did was correct. Like, if she can't have a conversation with people because she's concerned about her mental health, putting yourself out there in stressful environments to, especially if it's depression, and you're putting yourself out there in a competitive environment where you run the risk of losing and maybe furthering that depression, or you put yourself out there and you're subjecting yourself to heckling, which we already said is, you know, acceptable. You know, you're not throwing bottles at people. You're not spitting on someone. You're not physically abusing them. But, you know, if you're, you know, telling someone they're sucking a bag of dicks, then, you know, maybe that kind of furthers (laughs) things along a little bit. But I, it, it definitely could. Yeah, so I mean, it's it, it's tough. Like I, I support her in the way she wants to take care of herself. I think what she did was correct. Like if if your mental health is a concern, withdraw from the sport entirely. I get some people are going to say, well, sometimes sports helps you work through whatever you're going through, but not when you're that. But they're they're not going through whatever she's going yeah, through. Yeah, and not on I mean? that stage at that level with that much focus on you. And I think that's where probably Even, a lot of the a lot of her mental health related stuff comes into play. It's the pressure to continue. I I think she had Even at that age too. Yeah. Like that's something we have to pay attention and, and to. You, you know, she's 23 and she's like ordained as the next like 
huge big tennis yeah. thing. Like th- those are massive shoes. And to if you fill. look at that's a huge weight to carry. Yeah, and if you look at any other industry, uh, let's say any other 18, 19, 20 year old in any other industry, it is expected for them to have some sort of collapse. Justin Bieber, he, in fact, he's making music right now about his collapse and how nobody was paying attention to it, right? It was uh, like he has a song out right now. It's called like Lonely or something. And he literally talks about it. Like I can't believe you're talking about Justin Bieber. No, it's, it's just, just it's just going to give me so much guff. But it's, I, it's I, an yeah, example, right? Like then you have it's it's a cultural thing. Now. Aaron like, Hernandez. This generation let's, is more focused. Yeah. Let's look at yeah. let's take Aaron Hernandez, which is the extreme of that. Who had some yeah. concerns coming in right out of college, had a lot of success early on, and had a really hard time navigating some of that you see it all the time with like younger disney stars you saw zach efron had his moment you see shia labeouf I, i'm just using different industries as an example you have music with justin you have shia labeouf with uh with those acting. people are allowed to make mistakes and and come back through right yeah you know what i mean like they're not they're not carrying the expectations of an entire sport on their back well that's what that's in the same well way. that's what i think i mean a lot of them were carrying the weight of like the you know the yeah, acting and movie industry on yeah. their back, which is arguably like more of financial risk because like you make a ton of money when you win the financial open. I mean the the, the French Open, but you sell out a blockbuster movie and you make forty million dollars off of one movie, and then they want to make a series out of it. So like or like music, and you can go through any industry and you could see young stars with booming success. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is a great example uh-huh. of that, who had immense, immense success. And what people don't realize is how old he was when he started having success. He was in his teens when all of that started really getting underway. Which is insane to think. Oh, he was so old. He was in his teens when he started having success. Like we're we're that, that and that's that's also part of the problem. Yeah, we're priming these these young athletes to uh, believe that if they're not world champions by thirteen, they they've failed. Yeah, when I was thirteen. Make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Shit, when I was 26, I was making a lot of mistakes too. So, yeah. you know, like the, the pressure for these young men and women to carry that, all of that weight, whether they're in the entertainment industry for music, film, sports, uh, it's just a lot. I, and I think it's a larger, broader conversation that everyone wants to say, oh, these people are snowflakes. They need a timeout card. No, it's the fact that like this is a, a more in tune with themselves generation. Yeah. And they don't necessarily want to hold on to these things like a chip on their shoulder and have to talk about it in therapy for 40 yeah. years they'd rather get it out now and i, and, and and I, I can agree. i can appreciate it i don't it. i don't fault it with it i don't think there's any way to avoid the the media side of things i think that is a yeah. a vital part of how things work right if you're going to sell out tickets and sell out stadiums and you want people to come watch which then increases the purse then the take home and the financials and all that sort of if you want those big Paychecks, when you win those events, you need fans to buy in and watch it and support it. You need sponsors to do the same thing. And the only way that's going to happen is if there's interest in athletes. Like, it's just it's just how it is. Look at Major League Lacrosse. There's zero money in it because there's just not enough press. There's not enough buy-in. There's not enough personalities there for you to literally buy in and be like, oh, those guys are fantastic. I let yeah, you know what? I I want to invest in these guys, right? There's there's lots of examples of people who are in positions of success that just don't have the personalities that are supposed to be driving 
a lot of the movement in some sports and some organizations and some professions that just they don't translate. Tennis is not one of those things we've seen. This we just discovered it's the it's the fifth most watched sport in the Still entire world. That. Right. So the amount of money that's being thrown it's in insane. there is based off of you know kind of driving some of that. So I mean, it it, it, it it's it's a really tough spot because you would you would hope we lived in a world where you didn't need that. Someone's how successful they were at whatever it is they were trying to do should be enough. And sports is unfortunately synonymous with media, just synonymous with you know viewership. And that's what drives all of it. Like viewership: how many people are tuning in, how many people are watching, how many people are buying tickets. That's where all the money comes from. If you're in a sport that didn't pay you and you were playing for free, hell with it. Back out of every single press conference on the planet because it doesn't matter. But unfortunately, the moment you sign that contract on the dotted line, the moment you take on any one of those those sponsorships on the dotted line, what they should build into all of those is like a mental break release where you're like, you can come out That'd and agree. say, yeah, I can't do this They anymore. probably have it. Yeah, I can't. The contracts just haven't changed for yeah, years. You should be able to say, I can't do this anymore. I need to walk away for X amount of time without facing any penalties. I'm sure most companies now are at the point where they're like, cool, we understand. I mean, most companies, most non sports uh, franchise companies have those riders in their, yeah. their employee uh, guidelines, their handbooks. Yeah. So it should be no different. Yeah. But- so I think this is a good opportunity. We'll have to bring. Uh, Lauren DeCredico back in from Wicked uh, Wicked Psych and see if we can't uh, pick her brain a little bit and get some of her thoughts. Maybe we'll shoot for that on the next one. Yeah, sports psychology is definitely one of those things that I think a lot of people are like, oh, this isn't really a thing. And now they're like, oh, yeah, oh, your your favorite athlete has a mental agility coach? Like, what is that? And you're like, well, do you think you can be like one of the top 2% of athletes in your sport and not have someone? Like, you hone your diet, you hone your sleep schedule, you hone your training regimen. You would also have the mental aspect of it. And I think that's like one thing that is separating a lot of athletes. So when athletes are coming out and they're, they're being more vocal about their own mental health, it's so easy for people to write them off because they just, they're ignorant and they just don't know. Yeah. And I, I think that's what it is. You complain about your job every Friday going into the weekend. And if you disappeared tomorrow and stopped showing up, no one would give a shit. A lot of these, a lot of these professional athletes have so much riding on them. The stress of just showing up every day is got to be crippling i don't care how much money you make so yeah i, I think it, i think it is crippling no matter what position you you play or what or what uh what what part you are yep. in that universe but yep. all right let's let's wrap this episode up of stats of matter um psa fans stop being douches yep psa people accept that mental health is here to stay and it's not a big deal right i would rather have an uh, an athlete who says look i need to work on my mental health fine-tune the machine, come back out, give us 10 more years, then someone's career be ended short because they didn't pay attention yeah. to that that part of their career. So, to, Naomi, to, to amend, you're doing the right to thing. Amend, Not that it matters what we say. Yeah, to amend that a little bit, mental health is a big deal. Choosing to take care mm-hmm. of it is a big deal. But you removing yourself from sports to take care of it is not a big deal for fans. It would be a big deal for the athletes but not a big deal for us. So 100%. Amen, sir. All right. Well, let's, let's end this episode by saying one thing. 
Every day is stout day. Every day is stout day. And every season is stout season. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing. And uh, stouts can be consumed 365 days a year, yeah. I suppose. And eat, eat, they're fine if they have adjuncts in them or not. Eat your uh, eat your eat your bananas, folks. Take in your potassium. <laughs> That's the other thing I'll leave you with. We're out. <laughs> We're out. <Pete. laughs> That's funny.